grab your, grab your Bibles. Grab, grab your Bibles. Stay on your feet. Turn with me to Luke. Stay with me here, team. Turn with me to Luke chapter um, 18, verses 38 through 43. And then somebody look at your neighbor and announce to them the theme for 2017 for Epicenter Church. It's your turn. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's your turn. Turn around and high-five somebody and say, it's your turn. Point across the audience and say, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn to not just be the recipient of grace, but to be the conduit of grace. It is your turn to take the love that is inside of you and shine it on all of those who are around you. It's your turn to not be consumed with what God can do for you, but rather what he wants to do through you. Is somebody going to help me preach? It's your turn to run to the need. It's your turn to leverage the place that God has planted you for the kingdom of God. It's your turn to be his eyes. It's your turn to be his hands. It's your turn to be his ears. It's your turn to walk in his steps. It's your turn to walk out of difficulty into destiny. Somebody preach and help me. Come on. Somebody shout, it's your turn. It's your turn to search for the moment that God wants you to be involved with in the divine. It's your turn to search for the moment that God wants to use you to be a part of his divine nature. Can you imagine what life would be like if we peeled back the blinders and we saw the obstacle in our lives as an opportunity for grace? If we saw the, the, the problem in our lives as a platform for his promise, can you imagine how life would be different if we saw ourselves, Richie, the way God created us to see ourselves? If we saw ourselves from a heavenly perspective, if we saw how God created us from a heavenly perspective, we would have a shift in our perspective and we would understand that we are heaven's representation. And as the representative of heaven, that only means that I've been sent. So somebody look at your neighbor and say, I've been sent. Heaven sent me to search for the moment. Somebody say search for the moment. Last week we began that thought process, search for the moment. And I thought, Jonathan, I was done with that. But today is really 1B of that message. I thought I was done with that, but how many of you know the Holy Spirit has a plan? And today I just want to give to you what God has given to me. Because I think so often we miss those God moments, those divine moments that God wants us to search for. Oh, Lord, I feel like preaching. Let me read something to you. Hold your finger in Luke chapter 18 and flip with me over to Ecclesiastes. I'm just going to read a couple of verses just to establish some direction for us. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, there are some verses that I think are so timely for where we are today. And here's what it says. It says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Some of your translations say there is a time. There is the most opportune time. 
The word opportune in that particular passage would mean that the kairos time, which is the God moments, collide with the chronos time or the chronological time. And in that collision, there is a divine moment that takes place. Scholars call that a divine appointment or an appointed time. There is an appointed time where God not only wants to pour his grace out in your life, but he wants to use your life to get his grace through so that other people will be blessed by what he's just poured into you. Mm. Let me continue to read verses 2 and 3. It says, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Some of your translations say a time to mourn and a time to praise. Can somebody in this place give God praise for the divine moment that he came into your life? Can somebody give him 10 seconds of praise? Because there's a time to mourn. There's a time to cry. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to... Come on, somebody. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to praise. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to praise. There's no place that I would rather be than in his presence. says there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance who wants to dance before the Lord there's probably some dances in the house <laughs> I wouldn't moonwalk across the stage but my shoes are too grippy <laughs> the very fact that the author of Ecclesiastes says that there's a time to mourn and there's a time to praise and there's a time for everything under the sun what he's making reference to is there are some there, there's a moment there's some moments in your life that God wants to do the divine but what you need to understand is that always those moments are are coupled with are paired with are accompanied by your willingness to act that's what he says there's a time we have a responsibility to engage in everything that happens under the sun that is orchestrated by heaven. Hold on a second. I need you to grab this. Because what this passage of scripture is saying is that God orchestrates everything under heaven. And if God orchestrates everything under heaven, the instrument that God uses to bring about his orchestration is you. Mm. In other words... <laughs> We are the fundamental operating system of the kingdom of God. I love that. The system that God uses. The church is the system that God uses to further his kingdom. Not a brick and mortar building. The church. The church. The Holy Spirit who is within us that empowers us to do the work of Christ. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he shall be in the midst of thee. Notice that verse does not say when the praise band strikes up the first chord, that's when you can begin praise. No, it says, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he shall be. It's the gathering. That gathering could take place at Taco Bell. That gathering could take place in your home. That gathering could take place at your school. That gathering could take place in your neighborhood. Neighborhood. The point that I am trying to make is this, the power and the presence of God floods your life when the person of Jesus is the conversation piece. Oh, Lord have mercy. Let me take that thought a little bit farther. Just, just be seated. Thank you, team. 
see, this is kind of where we left off last week. How many of you in here, you've got a moment in your life, a need in your life where you need God to just show up? Can I tell you something? It could very well be that your breakthrough moment is connected to you being someone else's breakthrough. It could very well be that your breakthrough moment occurs when you become someone else's breakthrough. Hmm. We're all looking for that breakthrough moment, but there is something specific about the responsibility that we have to be accompanied or to accompany that moment that God pours out or opens up or gives to us. Let me teach for a minute before we get into the narrative. And if you are, if you have, I should say, submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you have become a Christ follower, you realize that you have not only submitted and surrendered your life to him, but you have also taken up the mantle of responsibility to shine his light on those that are around you. In other words, your salvation is accompanied by the Holy Spirit who empowers you to, to go and search for the moments around you that the goodness of Christ can be exposed through you. L let me say it this way. The moment that you gave your heart to Christ was not about you receiving fire protection. It was not about you receiving, you know, some fire protection so that you have escaped hell. That is beautiful, but that is not what your salvation was about. But rather, your salvation is about the fact and the truth that God wants to use you and your interaction with others to expose him to them through you. Let me take you to the narrative in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to take you there because that's the passage that God spoke to me with this week. And in fact, last week we were in Luke chapter 19 where Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, which will ultimately be his death on the cross. He's roughly a day or so outside of, of that experience. And he's going to Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. The problem is it's somewhat out of his way. And here he is in chapter 18. We're going to back up one chapter because there is another moment outside of Jericho that takes place. He hasn't quite made it to Jericho, but there is an experience that happens that is so intriguing that I believe we need to see it today. Is it okay if I read some and then we work some? Here's what it says in verse 35. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let me pause right here. Because Luke is painting for us a picture that I think we need to understand. He's giving to us the backstory, and some of what's happening in the backstory is not necessarily obvious but we do need to understand what is happening in the backstory if you will in between the lines in order to understand the context of this narrative here is jesus walking to jerusalem by way of jericho going out of his way stopping in jerusalem and the, or in jericho and the reason why he's stopping in jericho is because compassion has driven him to the need 
We know that last week he goes into Jericho because all of Zacchaeus' house found salvation. Today he's still a ways outside of Jericho, but yet the people are gathering around him. He's beginning to walk this road that is well-traveled, and people are gathering around him because they want to be blessed by him. They want to be healed by him. They want to be fed by him. And anytime Jesus would walk down these roads, he would go through these towns and villages. People would find out that he's there, and so they would gather around him in these huge crowds because they had heard about his miraculous ability. They had heard about his supernatural ability, so they wanted to be healed. They wanted to be blessed by him. They wanted to be fed by him. And here is Jesus walking this road away from Jericho. The particular road that he's walking on will dump him into a prestigious area of Jericho. In fact, the aroma in the air, the aromatic qualities are filtering down into this valley area where Jesus is walking through from the balsam groves of, of Jericho. And all of these people walk this road into this area. And all of these beggars, if you will, will line this road because when the affluential people walk into Jericho on this road, they're hoping that someone will throw them some money. They're hoping that someone will throw them some food. So they're shouting out, alms for the poor! But what is so incredible and intriguing to me is here is Jesus walking this road, this well-traveled road, which will ultimately end up in Jerusalem, which will ultimately mean his death. But yet Jesus is more concerned with someone else's life. Enter the next main character, this blind dude. This blind dude who's been sitting beside of this road on this beautiful day where Jesus is walking in and this wonderful smell that's fumigated, if you will, this entire region. And, and he finds out that Jesus is there. And that day, rather than crying out, alms for the poor, the, the, the voice changes. His cry changes. It's, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love the very fact that Jesus is attuned to the cry of his people. That will preach. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The Bible says that the Lord's ear is attuned to our cry. The psalmist would write, I cried out and he heard my cry and he helped me in my distress. And here is this dude who's on the side of the road who's probably been there every single day. How he gets there, someone must help him. And, but yet he cannot seek God in the conventional manner that others are seeking God because he cannot see, but he does not allow his handicap to stop him from crying out. He does not seek God in the manner that others would seek God because he cannot see. So he seeks God the only way that he knows how because he can hear. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the more that I think about that concept, I'm thinking, hold on a second. Here's Jesus just really a, a day or so away from the very fact that he's going to give his life 
Here is Jesus a day or so away. He's walking this road which will ultimately end up in Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to die on a cross. He's going to sacrifice his life for us. So you know that in the natural, in the flesh, he's consumed with what's at the end of the road. He's consumed with what's awaiting him. He's consumed with dying on a cross, but yet he's more consumed with someone else's life than he is his own death. And he runs to the need. He runs to the need. At Epicenter Church, we have this saying, see the need and fill it. See the hurt and heal it. Sounds catchy, but you know, it's kind of tough to live. In fact, we have an initiative right now called I3. Everybody say I3. Invite, involve, ignite. Invite, involve, ignite. Invite, involve, ignite. Everybody say it with me. Say it again. Say it again. Hold on a second. Here is this simple plan, very simplistic, but yet extremely profound. Why? Because Jesus has invited us to be involved in the process of bringing heaven to earth so that something will be ignited in a church that will ultimately ignite a community. Think about that. Think about that in context to this story. Here is Jesus inviting this man, involving himself in the process so that something would be ignited. Invite, involve, ignite. Say it with me. It's so easy. We've started this initiative, and for the last several weeks, we've been talking about this in hopes that you would invite someone to church next week. We hope that you would invite someone to church every week. But it's so easy. Invite someone to church. Involve yourself in the process so that something will be ignited in their lives. So next week on the 22nd, we've been talking about this for about five weeks or so. We've got, we've got this Sunday that we're calling Welcome Home Sunday. We want to pack both services out. We want to be able to invite others, involve ourselves in the process, and see something ignited in their lives. At Easter, we had a good bit over 800 people. There's no reason why next week we should not exceed that. Why? Because God has called us to run to the need, to see the need and fill it, see the hurt and heal it. Everybody say, invite, involve, ignite. Really loud. Really loud. Mm. Hang on a second, though. I three seems very simple, but yet there is another I that tends to supersede those eyes, and that would be the I called ignore. Sometimes it's easier for us to ignore the need than it is to involve ourselves in the need. Sometimes it's easier for us to be consumed with our own needs, therefore we ignore the needs of others. Hello. Here is Jesus walking this road, involving himself in the need of others. I had this thought. If God's word, it says, all of his promises are ours, yes and amen. It says that there's a few thousand promises in God's word, and all of those promises, according to his word, are ours, yes and amen. Somebody say amen. That means that the potential for our lives lies within these pages. 
So here is my question. If the potential for our lives lie within these pages, why is it that we miss our potential? Could it be because the enemy has us so focused upon our own needs that we miss the needs of others? Could it be that the enemy has us so busy that we don't see the needs of others as an opportunity, but rather as an inconvenience? Can I get a hello? I need somebody to help me preach this. In fact, the reason why I say that is because verse 39, look at verse 39. First time that I really noticed this. I've preached this passage of Scripture several times over the years. I, I, I've read this passage of Scripture, but I, something jumped off the pages at me. It says, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. It says, those who led the way. Luke is painting a picture for us here. Those who led the way. You have to assume that those who are leading the way are Christ followers. You have to assume that the crowd that is leading the way for Jesus is, is a crowd or at least a part of the crowd that is leading the way for Jesus are those who've been with Jesus for some of them up to three and a half years at this point. Those who are leading the way and pushing people out of the way. Those who lead the way are shouting, be quiet. could be Christ followers, a group, those who lead the way. And the Holy Spirit drops something in my lap. If his word gives to us his potential, why is it that we miss our potential in life? If his word highlights for us the potential of victory, why is it that his people walk in defeat? If his word highlights for us the potential of freedom, why is it that his people walk in bondage? If his word highlights for us the potential of a peace that surpasses all understanding, why does his people live in turmoil? If his word announces to us the potential, if you will, of love, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, why is it that his nation walks divided? Can I tell you why? The reason for it is the mechanism that God chooses to bring about his potential misses their moments. Did you grab that? The mechanism that God uses to bring about his potential. We miss our moments. In fact, the Bible says that it is our job as Christ followers to reconcile men unto him. Therefore, verse 39 is probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible because this group of people who's leading the way has been with Christ for quite some time, but yet they still don't fully understand the gift of Christ. Once you receive the gift of Christ, there should be a shift in your perspective. And rather than you longing for the presence of God, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, -E -E we should be longing for the presence of God to fill us, to empower us, so that others will see that grace moment in their lives. Watch this, it says, verse 40, I, I need to show you this. Verse 40, it says, Jesus stopped. Everybody say stop. Something I saw, again, for the first time, and ordered the man to be brought to him. And he came near to Jesus. Jesus asked him. Hold on a second. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And this group brings Jesus, or brings the man to Jesus. 
Hold on a second. There's two groups here. There's two groups. There's a group that rebukes the man. Be quiet. There's another group who picks the man up and walks him to Jesus. There is a group of Christ followers who are following closely with Jesus through the highways and the byways. There is one group that is, be quiet, rebuking the man. There's another group that's picking the man up and walking him to Jesus. Which group are you? Let me illustrate this. This past week, I had a doctor's appointment, and I received from the doctor's office a text reminding me of my appointment just a little while before the appointment saying, please do not be late for your appointment. Have you ever received one of those texts? I don't know why the text doesn't say, please do not be wait for, late for your appointment, because you have to wait in the waiting room. So when I get to the doctor's office, the waiting room is full of people. I, I don't know these people. But I had this thought. If I miss my appointed time, if I miss my appointment, if I'm late for my appointment, I should say, it throws off all of their appointments. It throws off all of their times. Mm. I, 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 I don't know these people, but we're all connected because we go to the same doctor. I'm about to bring conviction on someone. I, I, I'm about to also set someone free. What you need to understand is that there are people who are around you who are waiting for you to get to that moment. And if you don't get to that moment, until and unless you get to that moment, they will not benefit from who you are and what God created you to do. Did you grab that? There are people all around you that are waiting on you to get to that moment. And until and unless you get to that moment, they will not realize the benefit and the blessing of who God created you to be and what he's called you to do. Their times will be thrown off. Paul says it this way. It was so simplistic for Paul. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he said, I went to Troas and I began to preach. As I was preaching in Troas, I realized that God had opened a door for me. That verse is so beautiful to me because he goes to Troas, he begins to preach, and after he preaches, he realizes that God has opened a door for him. What he's saying, in the most simple way that I can state it, is he was in the right place at the right time. The storyline to Luke chapter 18 is Two groups of people who are in the right place at the right time, but there are two totally different reactions. You see, some of you are waiting on the door to open up for you. Let me just go ahead and tell you what, what Paul was meaning here. It says that he went and he began to preach, and after he began to preach, he realized that God had opened the door for him. You see, God has already opened a door for you. That door is in your school. That door is in your workplace. That door is in your home. That door is in, in your neighborhood. That door is in your relationships. Are you with me? Let me go a little deeper in what Paul meant here because I think what Paul didn't say is just as important as what Paul did say. What Paul did not say was anything selfish, but everything selfless. What he was saying is, I went to Troas, began to preach, and I realized God had opened a door for me. The door was that he was supposed to be a blessing to someone else. Sometimes we miss the moments because we're so focused on not what God can do through us, but rather what we need God to do for us. <laughs> Did you grab that? We miss the moments because we're not focused on what God can do through us, but rather what, what we need God to do for us. 
Think about this with me for a moment. Here is this group of people who led the way for Jesus, who'd been with Jesus for three and a half years. Here is Jesus himself, the Word. Here is Jesus himself, God in the flesh. We know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in the form of Jesus. We know that the Bible says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to offer up his life as a ransom for many. We know that the Bible said that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. We know that the Bible says he is our hope. We know the Bible says he is our grace. We know the Bible said he is our peace. We know the Bible says that he is our forgiveness. We know the Bible says he is our salvation. But the people who were walking with him, him said be quiet you're too messed up you've been this way for too long things will never change for you isn't it strange how people can determine whether or not God is going to move in your life based upon where you came from isn't it strange how people can determine whether or not God's going to move in your life based upon what your family had or didn't have? Isn't it strange how people can determine whether or not God's going to move in your life because they knew you at one moment in time, and because of that one moment in time that they knew you, they think that that's who you are for the rest of your life? Lord have mercy. The Bible says that Jesus is walking on that road, going to his death. He's more consumed with someone else's life, and it says that he stopped. That is the picture of the church. He stopped so that he could minister to someone in need. And something that I saw that absolutely blew me away, a theologian wrote, he said, he said there was nothing that could stop Christ from going to Jerusalem, but he would stop to show mercy. Wow. I don't know who this is for, but I feel the Holy Spirit in this place because there is someone, maybe a lot of someone's in this place that right now you're wondering if a word that God ever pronounced over your life is going to come to fruition because you hear all of the people in your ear, all of the people in your spirit who said that you'll never be and now you're overwhelmed by it. Can I tell you something? If God said something, if God spoke something, there is nothing that can stop heaven from bringing about what God spoke in your life. There may be some people who hate you. There may be some people who are confused by you. There may be some people who are absolutely it, they, 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 feel, they feel absolutely just overwhelmed by what they believe God is going to do in your life. They feel like that, that you shouldn't have what, what, what God has spoken over your life. They're intimidated by what God's going to do. And so they begin to say things to you because they're not happy about what God's going to do in your life. And they begin to say, you'll never be. You'll never get there. You've always been a mess. Your family has always been this way. But can I tell you something? If heaven spoke it over your life, when all of heaven decides to pour out in that moment, all of heaven's grace... Heaven is standing at your back, and there is no enemy that can stop you. You'll be able to step to the side. You'll be able to step over it. You'll be able to walk through it. Why? Because it's your moment, and the enemy that's been trying to keep you in bondage will no longer be there, and the voices that you have heard will be extinguished because it's your moment. It's your moment. It's your moment, and God will not allow the opposition to keep you from his position. Some of you, you need to listen to this. You need to use the authority of the kingdom of God in the place that he has planted you. Because it's your moment. It's your moment. But some of you, if you were transparent, you would say, but hold on a second, Pastor Mark. I feel like the dude who's on the, the dusty road, the lonely road. I feel like the blind dude. I'm not blind. But I feel like him. 
And there have been days, there have been moments that I'm like, I, I feel like a failure. There have been moments that I feel like there's absolutely no way of fixing. There's, there's, there's been moments where I've cried out to God, take me home. Uh, there's been moments that I just didn't feel like anything was going for me. But let me tell you something in here because somebody needs to hear this. You need to hang on because your moment is on the way. God is about to deliver something from heaven. You're about to have a divine moment. So reach up and grab hold of his grace. Verse 41 is a strange verse, theologically speaking, because Jesus, when the blind dude gets in front of Jesus, Jesus says, he says, what is it that you want me to do for you? Kind of a strange question for a dude who's blind. I don't have time to go through all the theological ramifications of that verse because it is greatly complex. However, there were a lot of things that this blind dude could have said. Remember, his lifestyle has, or his handicap, if you will, has relegated him to a position of being a beggar. He could have easily have said, Jesus, can you pay my bills for the rest of the month? You know how we just kind of lay the immediate need at, at the feet of Jesus? You know what I'm talking about? We need you to take care of this right now. Even if you take care of this right now, it, it, it's going to hurt you in the long run. That's the short term. I need you to take my bills this month. Jesus, how about a ribeye? But instead, he knew that there was a deeper need. And Jesus wanted to hear what that deep need was. I need my sight. Something that blows me away that I just need to share with you. Something the Holy Spirit has dropped in my lap. And here is this group of people who followed the way or followed Jesus, who led the way for maybe some of them three and a half years. And yet they've forgotten where grace has brought them from. Think about that. They were probably not blind at one time, and they might not have been beggars on the side of the road, but they have forgotten what God has done for them where they were at the moment that Christ came down and found them and where they are now. They've forgotten that journey called grace. They've forgotten where God is. You see, they might not have been blind. They may not have been beggars, but they were once lost and now they're found. They were once blind, but now they see. You see, you can change the words of that song. I was once broke, but now I'm not. I was once a mess, but now I'm a message. I was once all, diff all kinds of difficulty was in my life, but God walked me into my destiny. You, you, you see, you, you have to remember, the thing that I'm trying to say to you is you have to remember all of the things that God has done for you. You cannot forget. Let me challenge you. Do not forget all that God has done for you. Do not forget the times that you could not do for yourself and God did for you. Do not forget the times that you didn't know how to stand up and God lifted you up out of the miry clay set your feet upon the rock to stay do not forget about the times when you didn't deserve grace but heaven opened up and there was a divine moment in your life do not forget the goodness of God because it is your ability to remember that causes you to have grace for those who are in that same moment did you grab that it is your ability to remember all that God has done that will give you the grace for those when they reach that same moment Stand to your feet. Let me finish reading this. I'm about to close. 
know why preachers say that. Closing does not mean close. It just means we're getting close to the closing. He says, Lord, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all of the people saw it, they also praised God. Hold on a second. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says there's a time for everything under heaven. There was a divine moment that was orchestrated by God for Jesus to collide with this individual who had been on this roadside. See, the thing that I can take away from, from this story is there's two groups of people. Which group are you? There's one group of people who are leading the way, Christ followers, be quiet. There's another group of people who lead him to Jesus. Here he is, the Messiah. Then I begin to think, hold on a second. You, you probably have heard people, well, I'm sure you've had people ask you, what is it that you do? Well, I'm a soldier. I'm a business owner. I'm a banker, I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm a student, no, I'm a mom, I'm a dad. What? Listen, let, let me be honest with you. That's not who you are. To be quite honest with you, I'm not even real sure that that's what you do. Let me explain. You are not just a mom who happens to be a Christ follower. You are a Christ follower who happens to be a mom. You are not just a dad who happens to be a Christ follower. <laughs> you are a Christ follower who happens to be a dad. You're not just a soldier who happens to be a Christ follower. You're a Christ follower who happens to be a soldier. You're not just a business owner who happens to be a Christ follower. You're a Christ follower who happens to own a business. Are you with me? You see, when you begin to see life that way, your eyes will begin to open up to the needs that are around you. You'll be in search of moments, and those moments will be all around you. The question is, which group are you? There was a group that did not involve themselves, did not invite. And, and so as far as they were concerned, nothing would have been ignited. But then there was another group who was invited to be involved in the process. And something was ignited in this individual's life. God wants to do the same thing through you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you would say to me, Pastor Mark, today I've heard this message and being completely transparent, I, when I read this story, I, I can so relate to where this blind dude's at in his life. I, I, I just, I feel the loneliness of that road. I feel the difficulties. I, I'm in need. I, I feel like I, there's an area of my life that I need God to do something. 
I need a moment from God. I, I need a, a divine heavenly experience from God in my relationships, in, in, in my career, in, in my finances. I just need God to show up in, in, in that area. If that's you today and there's a need that's greater than you and you want God to show up, you want to have a divine moment with God. If that's you and you need God to do that, I want you to raise your hand high all over this building. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands in the balcony. I see those hands in the back. Your hands down. My next question is this if you from this day forward you say, you know what, I want to be like group B. I don't want to be like group A. I want to be like group B. And I want to be involved. I want to, I want to invite. I want to involve. I, I, I want to ignite. I, I want God to use me in that way. I want to be everything that God's created me to be because I realize that the door is open already for me to walk through and to do those things. And so I want to be all that God has called me to be. I want to invite. I, I, I want to involve and I want something to be ignited all around me because I want to be his hands extended. I, I realize I need to search for the moment. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand high all over this building. I see those hands going up. Wow. Last but not least, if you would say today, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want a brand new start. I want a second chance. I want forgiveness from my sins. If that's you, I'm the only one looking around. Raise your hand high. Let me see that hand. I see those hands. I see those hands all over this building. Here's the deal. If you raised your hand for any one of those three things, I'm going to ask you to do something. You see, they had to pick the dude up and bring him to Jesus. And right now, I'm going to ask you to do the equivalent. But you're going to have to do it under your own power. I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are if you raised your hand for any one of those three things and to come to this altar and to lay it at his feet because God wants to do the miraculous in your life. So if you raised your hand for any one of those three things, step out from where you are because God wants to do something explosive. He wants to do something. Come on, I'm inviting you to involve yourself in what God has for you because he wants to ignite something in your heart, in your life, in your environment. There is a divine moment. You're in search of a moment. This moment begins all of the rest of the moments in your life. Come and receive what God has. People are coming from all over the building, in the back, in the balcony. You have time.